Today's reading is from Philippians 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, to have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Our our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that we can know who you are and uh, who we are and what you'd have from us. Please teach us tonight, Father, how to pray. Teach us how to view prayer, that we may pray and that we may bring glory to your name. Amen. I think I'm right in saying that we don't mind giving lots of time and and energy and space to things that we love, to things that we care about, things that uh, we get excited about. Uh, For example, the Rugby World Cup has been on this autumn, and I love rugby. I get very excited about rugby. I'm, I'm passionate about rugby. And so I didn't mind giving up lots of hours to watch the rugby on the sofa in New Zealand because I, I care about rugby. I'm passionate about it. Now, of course, my wife uh, just uh, doesn't like rugby. She, she couldn't get why I would spend so many hours uh, watching it. She couldn't understand why I would get up at 5.45 a.m. on my day off to watch a rugby game, uh, a complete waste of time. But uh, I think it's true to say that if we love something, if we are excited about it, then we will give up lots of time and energy to follow it, uh, to, to spend time doing it. Or take shopping. Now, I can spend four hours walking around a golf course and, and not mind walking all those miles. But when it comes to shopping, after about 20 minutes, I'm wrecked. My, my, my back is aching and uh, my knees are sore. I've got to find a coffee in a seat somewhere. But of course, my wife, well, she can go on for hours, finds this hidden reserve of energy and stamina to keep on shopping, shop after shop. Because, of course, we don't mind investing lots of time and energy into something if we care about it, if, if it makes us excited. Um, I'm told, and I find this hard to believe, but I'm told it's true, that some people would spend literally hours waist deep in cold water in a river uh, with a stick and a bit of string trying to catch fish. Um, and of course, when you catch the fish, you throw it back in the, the river again. I, can, I, I just can't get it, but I'm told people do this um, for days on end. Because, of course, uh, we don't mind giving lots of time and energy to things that we care about, that we get excited about. We are thinking about prayer tonight. We've had a whole series on prayer. And if you've ever tried to pray for any length of time, then I think you will agree that prayer can and uh, is, it can be and is difficult. It is very hard to give good time and space to prayer. Now, some of, sometimes we can not know how to pray 
uh, we can not, not be sure what words to use or, or, or what direction to pray towards, uh, and that can stop us from praying. Other times, maybe we're just too busy. Life feels frantic and chaotic, and we can't find time to pray. But if you're anything like me, then so often I don't pray simply because I don't want to. I don't care about prayer. Oh, I, I have the time, I have the space, I, I'm not too busy, I, I kind of know what I should be praying for, but when push comes to shove, I just don't want to pray. I would much prefer to turn on the telly and watch a program, or to turn on the computer and go on the internet, or, or read a book, or go shopping, or do anything, almost, rather than pray. We don't mind giving up lots of time and energy to things that we care about, things that excite us, but for some reason, we can find it tremendously hard to pray, to get excited about prayer, to give it the time and space that it deserves. Well, tonight, we are going to eavesdrop in on one of the great prayers of the New Testament. We're going to be a fly on the wall as we listen in to how Paul tells the Philippians he is praying for them. And my hope tonight is that as we see why and how Paul prays, when we see how massive and exciting and important and vital and life-changing Paul's prayers are, I hope that we will have a fresh zeal and love and passion for praying that will help us to pray as we should. Now, I don't watch rugby out of a sense of guilt or fear or duty. No, I, I love rugby. My goal tonight, as I seek to help us to pray more, is not to motivate us out of guilt or fear or duty. Rather, out of, to propel us towards more prayer, out of a sense of joy and excitement and love because of what prayer is and what happens when we pray. So I want to look at um, Paul's prayer for the Philippians in chapter one of, uh, of this great book. And I've got two points, actually uh, two questions to help us understand uh, Paul's prayer life. So the first question is this, why does Paul pray? And secondly, how does Paul pray? Not too complicated, I hope. Uh, so first of all, why does Paul pray? And my first point is this, Paul prays because of gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. So glance down at, uh, at, at verse three. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul prays because of gospel partnership. And Paul is convinced that they are partners in the gospel, uh, he's clear in verse six, he says, um, he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Or, or at the end of, of verse seven, he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. In other words, Paul is convinced that he is gospel partners with this church in, in Philippi, with, with the Christians there. And it's because of that partnership that Paul is full of thanksgiving, he's full of joy, and that is what motivates him to talk to God about the Philippians, to pray to God, to remember them to God. It is because of gospel partnership. Now what does this mean? What, what does it mean to say gospel partnership motivates Paul? It doesn't, 
sound particularly motivational. Well, we need to understand what partnership is. Partnership means so much more than um, acquaintances or, or, or friendship or, or association. In the Bible, partnership means something more like teammates. It implies teamwork. When I was at school, I used to play lots of rugby, as you can imagine from my opening. Um, and we used to go on tours with our school, going to, to play other schools around the country. And we'd go for 10 days at a time, maybe, and we'd play lots of different schools. And it was amazing how, during the course of that tour, away from home with the rugby team, uh, you'd go through all these highs and lows as you won some matches, you lost some matches, you got injured, you, you, you messed up, you, you made some great plays. But in all the highs and lows of being teammates together, uh, the course of that tour, you became great mates, great friends, as you shared the highs and lows of, of, of working together, playing together. And that's the sort of idea of gospel partnership. It's the idea of sharing the highs and lows together, going through challenges and difficulties and excitements. And, and that whole thing, bringing you together uh, as teammates, as, as fellow workers. Well, I can imagine some of us have, have been in choirs or, or bands, orchestras. We've, we've spent hours rehearsing together and preparing for a big concert. We, and we've gone through the actual concert itself. And there's a real buzz, isn't there, of being with a group of other people, working hard at something, uh, sacrificing, sharing, and getting through something together. And all of that creating this sense of, of, of ownership and, and teamwork, uh, and being bandmates together. That is the idea of, of being a partner in terms of the Bible, gospel partnership. When I was in London uh, for a few years, I used to go on the underground quite a few times. And if you ever got the underground in London, you'll know there is an unwritten rule which says that you must never look at anybody else in the carriage you're in. And of course, you mustn't ever talk to anybody else as well. That would be awful. And so you have this bizarre scenario where you have 25, 30, 50, 80 people crammed into a, a carriage and nobody is looking at anybody else. They're all staring down at the floor or, or reading their book and trying to peer at the top of the paper and nobody is speaking. And you can always spot the visitor or, or, or the newcomer because they're the ones trying to talk to other people. And they stand out like a sore thumb. But that is a picture of people who are passengers on a train. They are just standing there or sitting there, not interacting, not involved. They don't know each other. They don't speak. They're just going somewhere together. That is the idea of being a passenger. But being a passenger is different from being a partner. What Paul is talking about is not gospel passengers, but gospel partners, people who are, who are committed to each other, who have got to know each other. And I can imagine in a church this size, uh, we're full here tonight, lots of people, it's easy for us to remain gospel passengers. So we turn up on a Sunday and we sit next to people. We might say hello, or good morning, or whatever, or good evening, but not much more than that. And we might be involved in a small group, but we turn up late and leave early, and we don't really commit. We don't get to share our lives with people. We're like passengers on an underground train. But Paul's talking about gospel partnership, which means so much more. It means being willing to uh, get stuck in and involved. It means being willing to sacrifice our time and energy to, to be with other people, to share the load with other people, to look out for other people instead of ourselves, sacrificially serving each other. Paul says that he thanks God for the gospel partnership of the Philippian Christians. 
And if we are trusting in the gospel, if we're trusting in Christ, then we are gospel partners with other Christians here tonight, whether we feel like it or not. And so we should live as if we are gospel partners. So if we are involved in Sago, it means that we should go to Sago with the idea of being a a teammate, not just a passenger. We should go to to get involved and get stuck in and to, to look after each other and ask how we're doing and really share our lives together. If we're involved in Discuss, it means coming on time to have dinner with each other, catching up, hearing about our days, praying for each other, uh, meeting up, caring outside of church, being teammates, not just passengers. It is a scary thought, but if you glance at the person next to you, uh, to your left and to your right, those people are actually gospel partners with you, whether it feels like it or not. We are gospel partners here tonight, and that means we should commit and serve and sacrifice for each other. Paul had known the Philippians for, we think, maybe 10 years or so. And it seems that uh, they had been through many highs and lows together. Uh, They had stood by Paul in his his ministry. They had supported him uh, financially. They would given him gifts. Um, And we're told in in Philippians 4 verse 16. Maybe just flick over the page to to, to 4 verse uh, 16. Paul says to the Philippians... For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Aid again and again. The Philippians have been practical in their support and care for Paul as a gospel partner. They were teammates caring for each other. And it is in this context of, of, of teamwork, of gospel partnership, that Paul is full of thanksgiving and joy for the Philippians. Paul's prayer life is, is an outworking, an overflowing of how he feels about his, his teammates, his co-workers, his, his partners in the gospel. That is what motivates Paul. That's what causes him joy and love in this opening chapter of Philippians. Gospel partnership. So why does Paul pray? Well, my first point is this. Gospel partnership. And, our two, and for us as well, our, our prayers, our, our view of other people should be affected by how we view them in terms of gospel partnership. We are partners in the gospel. We should behave like it. We should love like it. And I guess the challenge for us tonight is clear, isn't it? Are we partners in the gospel? And if we are, who are our partners in the gospel? Um, do we view Sago as, 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 as a partnership in the gospel, our, our small group at Sega, do we commit to that because we're teammates? Do we commit to our house group? Do we commit to the road that we serve on um, as, as those who are teammates? Do we serve when it's not convenient, when it's, when it's not easy? Do we chat to the newcomer who's a bit awkward and standing on their own? Um, do we go the extra mile to help and serve? In other words, how we committed, are we viewing Sego and Discuss and house groups like our team, like our band, our orchestra, getting stuck in, getting committed, getting to know each other? And if that is the case, if that is happening, then I think Paul shows us that we will be filled with love and affection and joy for our teammates, for our, gospels, our gospel partners. If we're not feeling that way, then the challenge is, are we stuck in? Are we involved? If not, Tonight's a great time to change. Why does Paul pray? First of all, gospel partnership. Secondly, uh, what does Paul pray for? Well, no, how does Paul pray? 
Gospel priorities is my summary. How does Paul pray? Gospel priorities. It is striking in this second section, verses 9 to 11, what Paul does not pray for. He does not pray that the Philippians would uh, have great exam results or that they would get into the great university or that they'd have brilliant jobs or uh, lots of friends on Facebook. Uh, He doesn't pray that uh, they'd be well thought of by other people or have a successful life or, or a good house. No, he prays what I've called gospel priorities. There's so much packed into these three verses. We, we don't have time to explore it all, but I want to just pick out three, three little things, that, well, three massive things that Paul prays for in this section. The first is Paul prays for love. Glance down at verse 9. And this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul prays for love. Now, by love, I don't mean that Paul's praying that the Philippians would, uh, would love dolphins more or that they would, um, that boy or girl at school, they fancy that, that they would love that person more. No, Paul is praying very specifically about love for God and love for neighbor. He's praying the Philippians would, would grow in their love for God, their creator and their redeemer, and grow in love for the neighbors that God has called them to serve. And you see, by nature, we don't tend to love other people. We tend to love ourselves instead. That is our center of gravity. We don't find it easy to love other people. We love to love ourselves. And so Paul prays that the Philippian love would grow. Love for God and love for neighbor. Now this kind of love that Paul is talking about is not some emotional high that, that, that lasts maybe on a Sunday night or if we've been to Soul Survivor, that, that emotional buzz we get when you're there with thousands of people praising God. Those are good things. But I think the love Paul has in mind here is much more than that because of what he says next. Paul says, verse 9, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So secondly, Paul prays for knowledge. Again, not uh, knowledge about nuclear physics or um, about how to pass your exams, but knowledge, I think, of God and his ways. Knowledge that comes from pouring over the scriptures. Knowledge that comes from spending time with God. And Paul prays that his Philippian teammates, that they would grow in their, their knowledge of God and their depth of insight of who God is, of, of, of who we are. And that would cause their love to abound. And Paul prays all of this. He prays for love, for knowledge, finally, thirdly, so that they may know what is best. Verse 10, Paul says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul prays, for what is best. Don Carson has written a great book on prayer, uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. I highly recommend it if you haven't read it yet. And Paul has a a chapter on Philippians 1, and uh, in this chapter he talks about what it means to discern what is best. What does it mean? Because, of course, in the world around us, to, to go for what is best means getting the top mark in the exam. Or what is best means getting the, the best job we can. Or, or it means the highest salary, or, or the most friends, or the best house. 
Paul says what it means to discern what is best for a Christian is very different. He asks some, some very telling questions. He says, um, what do you do with your time? How many hours a week do you spend watching the telly? Or how many hours a week do you spend um, reading? What kind of books do you read? Do you read magazines, internet sites, or do you read Christian books that will uh, spur you on and grow your faith? What about your relationships with your siblings, with your family? What are you doing to uh, increase your, your family life, your home life, to be better siblings, better parents, better children? How often do we go to prayer meetings? How often do we uh, invest in other Christians? Or he says in one paragraph, at what points in your life do you cheerfully decide for no other reason than that you are a Christian to step outside your comfort zone, living and serving in painful or difficult self-denial? Behind uh, all our answers to those questions will lie a decision that we've made about what we think is best. We'll spend our time doing what we think is best, watching the telly, uh, reading certain books, doing certain things. Paul prays for the Philippians that they may be able to discern what is best. Paul prays uh, gospel priorities. He prays for love, knowledge, and what is best. And I think what is best must be framed by what Paul says next. Paul goes on to talk about um, the day when Christ will return. So he says, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. The day when Christ returns. I suspect many of you will have heard of the, the famous preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who lived and ministered in the, in, in the last century. Uh, he had an amazing career, an amazing uh, preaching career. He, he blessed and ministered to, to thousands of people. But as he came t t towards his death, uh, he was not well. He was very weak and very sickly. And all he could do was find the energy to get up from his bed and stagger to his uh, chair and then back again. That's all he could do in the final days of his life. And one of his close friends came to him and, and said to him, said to Martin, how are you doing? Because you spent so many years doing so much for Christ, being so effective. And now you're, you're reduced to, to this, this state of living where all you can do is stagger from your bed to your chair and back again. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are, are you okay with that? And Martin Lloyd-Jones responded with a very simple answer. He quoted the word of Jesus from Luke 10, 20, where Jesus says, to the disciples, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. An astonishing way of viewing life, is it not, from a, from a great man of God? Uh, he was fine. He didn't mind what he did because he knew his name was written in heaven. Yes, he, had, he was reduced to this uh, weakened state, but what mattered most for him was where he was heading next. He had this eternal perspective on life. He knew that when Christ returned, his name will be found in the book of life. And for him, that is what mattered most. That is what mattered most. Paul prays that the Philippians will be able to discern what is best, to, to view things in light of eternity, to, to work out what matters most with our time and our money and our exam results and, 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 and our friendships that we'd choose what is best, that we'd want to do what is best.
So there we have uh, what Paul prays for. We have why Paul prays, gospel partnership, and how Paul prays, gospel priorities. When I was on placement at Bible College, I, I went to one church for a year, and I was struck that every week we would have a time in the service when we prayed for other people, other needs. But the time of intercessions was simply a chance to, to name lists. So the person praying would, would run through the list of those who are ill. They'd run through the lists of leaders and, and people in the parish. It was just simply naming names. We pray for Mary, we pray for David, we pray for Sue, we pray for John. But they wouldn't say anything more than that. They wouldn't say what they were praying for or why they were praying. Just lists, just names. But you see how different Paul's prayer life is. He, he's overflowing with joy and thankfulness. He, he tells them why and how. And, and then he goes on to pray these wonderful gospel prayers for their love and for their knowledge and for their discernment about what is best. If we're ever stuck about what to pray for people, then Philippians 1 is a wonderful uh, toolkit, a wonderful storehouse of things to pray for our friends, our family, our, our, the people we know, the people that we're teammates with. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we committed to pray for the people in our Segu small group every week, these kind of prayers? Wouldn't it be amazing if we pray for the people in our discuss group who we see each week, these kind of prayers? Wouldn't it be great if we pray for the wider church, these kind of prayers? I know that I would be thrilled if I knew people were praying these prayers for me. It'd be a wonderful blessing if you're praying these kind of gospel prayers for me because I need it in my life as I, as I seek to live for God and discern what is best. I hope we've seen that for Paul, prayer is not something he does out of guilt or duty, but rather out of love and joy. Paul prays big prayers, wonderful prayers, gospel prayers, life-transforming prayers, prayers that matter into eternity. And I hope that we can see how he loves prayer, and I hope we can see something of, of how brilliant prayer is. I hope that we are excited by prayer. I hope that as we go away and reflect on this passage, that we would see afresh how we should and can be praying. And I hope that we commit to being gospel partners, praying for gospel priorities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel the news of how we can be saved through Jesus Christ. We thank you that it creates uh, teammates, partners in the gospel. Thank you that we are a team here tonight, partners in the gospel. Help us to, to love each other, to be joyful for each other, and to pray for each other. Give us a fresh vision of praying these wonderful gospel prayers that we may all be transformed, that our love, our knowledge, our discernment would grow day by day. And all this that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.